0: In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we are in the middle of a sermon series on Revelation, and this middle sermon is titled, The Blood of the Lamb. So happy Mother's Day. I try to think about like how are you going to put this together and then I thought well we're just going to go right out Revelation and then I'm going to tie it in a little bit. So today with Revelation for some of you who may have missed the first couple of series just a quick word Revelation is the last book in our Bible and it was written by a guy named John and this John who wrote Revelation is really a pastor to a handful of churches in what would today be Western Turkey Asia Minor those seven churches of Asia and those seven churches of Asia were churches he loved but he was stripped away from those churches and he was imprisoned on an island where he would likely die and so he writes a letter to those churches to give them courage and give them hope because they had entered a phase of their life the late first century where Rome had gotten serious about persecuting Christians So a quick reminder, Nero was a Roman emperor who began that persecution, but it was really Domitian who followed him, who took that persecution to another level. And so John, as he's sitting in this cell on this island, is worried about his people in these churches. And so he writes this letter to give them hope. In today's reading from Revelation, we hear about this idea of salvation. Salvation is something we bat around a lot, but the literal meaning of the word salvation is to be rescued. It means to rescue someone, and it actually means to rescue someone from battle. The old form of salvation, before Christians sort of tweaked it, meant that you were rescued from actual physical death on the battlefield. And so what John is doing here with this idea of salvation is he's beginning to morph it and change it into an idea that goes to a more cosmic level. This salvation is not just salvation from a physical death, but this is salvation from an eternal death. This is actually being saved from death itself. This inspiration we get from Jesus, this idea of resurrection goes way beyond just the life that we see and goes to something so much more cosmic and eternal. We are being invited to be saved, rescued from death itself. And so let's take a look at the Revelation story that we see today. Today we hear about countless multitudes praising God and their robes being washed clean, washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, these people who are praising God are not sinless people, on the contrary, they are people who have made plenty of bad decisions, plenty of mistakes, because they are human, and yet, They maintain a faithfulness to God and it is through that faithfulness that they are washed clean. The lamb represents the Messiah, the promised one. John believes they have found this Messiah in the person of Jesus and that through his death and resurrection, he has actually provided all of us an opportunity to be washed clean, to allow all of our mistakes and our bad choices and our sin to be washed away, for us to be forgiven, forgiven of everything and made completely clean in front of God. Now, there's a lot of imagery in the Revelation passage we just read. So I want to kind of step back to a few verses before this and give us a little context. At the beginning of the lesson, we hear about a great multitude that no one can count. A few verses before this, John identifies a group of 144,000 people who have been brought before God and sealed by God for protection. Those 144,000 hearken back to the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel, as I hope we remember, was really where Israel began. They formed the nation and fast forward, It's the nation that created the system of Judaism in which Jesus lived. Those 12 tribes times 12 times 1,000 gives us 144,000. It is not a literal number. That number is meant to just be really big. So when we say a countless multitude, although they name a number, that's not an accurate number. That's just meant to be gigantic. And so there are a lot of people that are brought before the throne of God and those people are sealed. That sealing is an idea that's important in Revelation. That sealing idea is really a blessing and a mark of God on the faithful people. And this does not mean that those faithful people won't suffer. It doesn't mean that those faithful people won't hurt or go through trouble. What it means is that God has committed to being with them through every heartbreak and every hurdle, that God will carry them through in the end, that God will bring them in the end to a new life. It's God's commitment to those faithful people. And then finally, we get to today's reading. And in today's reading, when they are washed clean, they are given this new life. And in this new life, they are able to live in a brand new way. Now, the 144,000 number is often disputed. And probably every preacher and every theologian has some opinion about what that 144,000 means. And if you've ever read any books or novels on Armageddon and the end of the world and all that revelation stuff, then you probably have something in your mind. So I want us to kind of Set that aside real fast. Let's look at what it actually says. Beginning in verse 13, Revelation says, one of the elders addressed me saying, this is John, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have been washed and their robes have been made white in the blood of the lamb for this reason. They are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more. They will thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes." Now you may recognize this passage because we often read this passage at funerals. And this passage read at funerals is meant to remind us of this Easter hope, this resurrection hope, that death is just a phase of our great eternal life with God. Because at the core of what John is really saying about God in Revelation, is that God is so full of mercy that He descends from the throne to wipe away our tears. That intimacy that God has for us, that genuine love and generosity that God has for each and every one of us is a beautiful way to understand God. Wouldn't it be nice If we all understood God with that kind of beauty, rather than that bureaucratic tyrant kind of God we hear about all the time, or perhaps that celestial bully who punishes people for making bad decisions, that's not who we see in Revelation. In Revelation, we see a God who is good and loving and kind and cares about us enough to even wipe away our tears. Now, Revelation, and we'll get there, becomes a bit fantastic. You might say it sort of goes off the rails. And the imagery that we get with all of the grandeur that's coming can become very dense and difficult. So I want to make sure we hang on to a deep truth here. You see, Revelation hits the ground for us when we acknowledge that the world can be scary, that fear can get the best of us, that all of us, in our own unique ways, go through the world with some kind of concern. I just heard a news story the other day about some young adults who, because of the experience over the last few years, have begun to live life with this general concern about making sure they are safe wherever they go in any public place. And they walk into coffee shops or into other buildings, they actually figure out where the exits are. They may be in a room and they look to see what in that room could potentially be used as a defensive weapon just in case they need it. They find that this low hum of anxiety is beginning to pervade everything that they do. And then, of course, we all know the experience of getting a call from a doctor with a diagnosis that we don't like, the surprise that someone may have a heart attack or a stroke that sets us totally off edge. Because ultimately, it reminds us that we're not in control. We don't like that. We like to think we are in control. We create structures around us in our lives that give us the sense of security and control in a way that is ultimately a little misleading. Those kinds of surprises, those accidents, those stressors are things that we deal with every day. And what we see in Revelation, in the final words of the Bible to us, is that our faithfulness in God means God's faithfulness to us. That no matter what this world throws at us, God will not leave us alone. And God will, in the end, rescue us from this life. Today is Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, we celebrate those who have been mothers to us. But mothers, fathers know, perhaps more intimately in their children than in any other relationship they have, that the world can be scary. One writer once said, making the decision to have a child is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body. Isn't that the case? I never knew fear before I had kids. And yet even on a day like today, even when we know deeply how the world can mistreat and hurt and cause pain, we're given a word from God, a vision from God of something so much better, something hopeful of resurrection and eternal life. And so as we gather today to give thanks for our mothers, For those who have supported us and comforted us and pushed us and loved us, today I hope we can take heart that God, God is our ultimate protector, our ultimate guide and our ultimate strength. That God promises that no matter what happens to us, no matter our struggles or our pain, God will never leave us. All the faithful, like us, have a seal upon our heads of God's promise of eternal life, God's promise to carry us through anything that life throws at us. And in the end, God wins, that love wins. So happy Mother's Day, amen.